0: It's one of my favorite songs, and you did it beautifully. Stephanie is at the back for children. If you want to go back and get your Bible boxes, all the rest of us, we're going to take our Bibles and we're going to continue in this upper room the night before Jesus died. So turn to John chapter 17. We come to this high priestly prayer of the final discourse or the upper room discourse of Jesus Christ. And uh, we'll be leaving John behind as we move on into the summer and to uh, Pentecost, the season of Pentecost, or what is called ordinary time, all the way up now until Advent of next year, as we continue this wonderful season of God. John chapter 17, we're going to start with verse 16 in just a little bit. There are two very important uh, theological terms that have been kind of appropriated by our popular culture. They are the terms righteous or righteousness and the terms sanctified or sanctification. Righteousness was the first one to go. Those of you who are more my age remember the Righteous Brothers and the Righteous Music. And, of course, Neil Young's Righteous Music Crusade, whose mission, quote, is to restore quality to digital music and to bring back its soul. I'm a Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young fan, and so I'm in in agreement with uh, Neil Young's desire, and I would put his desire in these kinds of terms, that righteous to our culture describes an excellence that transcends common human ability now i appreciate that definition because i think in many ways it continues the spirit of the word righteous when we mean righteous within christian faith we mean exactly that that it's something that god does within us that transcends the normal human way of being such that we live rightly before one another and before others here he applies it to music but it has the basic same meaning However, in more recent times, our popular culture has appropriated the word sanctified. And unlike righteous, that carries the same kind of meaning, sanctified has become a distorted word in our popular culture, if not even demonized. There are many examples of this if you want to uh, uh, do a Google search and see how the word is used. The most disturbing that I came across was the album by Nick Ross and Kanye West. It's an album that's named Sanctified, and I put a couple of the examples of the artwork that they use. It's such a distortion to the biblical concept of sanctification that I cannot even repeat the lyrics of their words in this Christian sanctuary. Jonathan Kahn, who's a, a very prophetic messianic rabbi, Explained what's happening when that kind of a thing happens in our culture when he says that we have profaned the sacred and sanctified the profane. Now, I point that out because we want to talk today about uh, the world and Christians and sanctification, and it's important for us to recognize this misappropriation that's happened in our popular culture of the term. We need to understand that our culture takes that which is not good, not holy, not healthy, not fruitful, and sanctifies it. And the word there literally means to set it apart for, and now they set it apart for praise and for imitation, that we should live that kind of unholy sanctification, calling us to free our lives And set it apart for unholy unhealthy lifestyles and and profane existence so it's important that in our culture in which we are immersed presently that when we use the term we need to understand okay what is it that we're being set apart for separated from for what is it we're being sanctified to is the question and Is it, in fact, a sanctification by God for God's purpose? It is here in the High Priestly Prayer that uh, Jesus gives us this wonderful call to the sanctification. In the email, I, I told you, I encourage you to read the whole of the High Priestly Prayer. He prays, of course, for what he wants to have happen to the disciples in this central part of the prayer in the end of the prayer he prays for all christians who will believe even though they haven't seen jesus with their eyes but it's the disciples and us as christians that i want to focus on today as we do this central portion of the high priestly prayer of christ so let's go to john chapter 17 we're going to start with the sixth verse and go through the 19th verse and of course jesus is praying here to the father And so he's talking to the Father as he describes what he prays for would happen to you and to me as his disciples. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming now to you, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world, any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Now keep that open before you as we study these words. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that in all experiences Mm -hmm. from this prayer, which uniquely fit the experience of the disciples then, and yet, uniquely fits our experience today. We know that your word is an eternal word, it's an everlasting word, it's a word that abides throughout all generations and throughout all cultural change. We would ask that you would be with each one of us. Mm. We live in this world. We would ask that you give us wisdom in our interactions and that we would be set apart, sanctified for you. We pray it in the name of Jesus, the one who makes it all possible. Amen. Now, as you can see, Jesus is concerned about our relationship with the world. But it's important for us to understand what he means by that phrase, world. The word we translate here is the word cosmos. But he doesn't mean what the English language means by the word cosmos. We've taken that Greek word, directly brought it over into the English language, and we mean the stars, the planets, the universe, the natural world, the cosmos. He means the human world that is living separate from the creator. The cosmos is the humans who are living separate from their Creator, we would perhaps use the word worldly, that which is a worldly world, the culture that lives in opposition to God or at least in indifference to God. And it does not acknowledge that He is the Creator of the world and everything in it. So when Jesus says as He's praying to the Father in verse 6, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the cosmos, out of the world. He's referring to those of us who have separated from, sanctified, become a part, uh, be, uh, uh, removed ourselves from the worldly world. We are separated from him. And he is referring to those who have then come back to the Creator. And back to that relationship that the creator intended when he gave life. Back to the very nature of who we are as human beings created in the image of God. And we have become separated from, sanctified from, the culture that is opposed to God. Or opposed at least in an indifference to God. So when he says in verse 9, I pray for them, I am not praying for the cosmos, but for those you have given me they are yours. He is not saying that he doesn't pray for the worldly world or that he doesn't love those who are separated from him in their human existence. For we're told earlier in the Gospel of John for God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have Ionian the everlasting eternal life of God so he's not saying that he doesn't pray for those who do not love him but rather in this prayer in this specific thing he says I'm, I'm not praying about them right now I'm praying about these who have come out of the world and they're now apart set apart for my kingdom and for my life and so in this specific high priestly prayer he's praying for all of us who have come out of the world to be with him Those of us who no longer want to live separated from Him. So that means we are set apart, sanctified for Him. And then He says in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer. And we studied that the last two Sundays. I will remain connected, abided in the world no longer. But they are still in the cosmos. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. And this is his prayer. Protect them. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them. I kept them safe by the name that you gave me. Now there's two things you want to notice in that prayer that he makes for us as we're immersed in this cosmos, this culture that is opposed to God. First, that we are in the worldly world just as Jesus was. Just like the first disciples long ago, we are immersed, we are surrounded by, we are held by a culture that does not abide in Christ, that does not obey the commandments of God. A world that does not hold as first importance to put God first. There is no other before me to put God at the center of their lives a world that does not keep his name holy, that profanes his name, his being, his reputation regularly a world that does not honor his sabbath day, a world that does not honor parents a world that sexually adulterates all kinds of ways where stealing, lying, killing becomes such a wrecking havoc force that it fills our papers every day with great fear and great chaos as it continues on and where we are programmed to covet what other people have by this materialistic advertising culture that makes you never satisfied with what you have but wanting what you see that others have. And since we're immersed in a world that does not follow the commandments of God, does not abide in God, and that wonderful connection of prayer and meditation and silence and solitude and all the spiritual disciplines that connect us and abide with God, then Jesus says, since that's our situation, we need protection. We need to be protected inwardly, that part that no one sees but God, we need to be protected outwardly and all of our relating to this world and all of its things. We need to be protected relationally in how we treat other human beings, who they are to us, and how significant they are in our lives. And of course, we need to be protected spiritually, that there be no other gods. There be only one God that we serve. And of course, that protection in part comes from our own action of abiding in or remaining in. Jesus has just talked about that just a few minutes before. We studied it the last two weeks as Pastor Colleen and I talked about what it means to abide in and remain in God and making sure that we are, in fact, connected with him. It's also interesting that the word Jesus uses that is most often used to describe protecting It's actually a word which means to guard in the sense of of watching over someone so that no one snatches them away. I I think of a, a parent who's at a very active public playground that is watching over their child to make sure there's no predators that are going to come and snatch their child away and to use them in physically and spiritually destructive kind of ways. It's that same kind of watching over us. The root word comes from a root word meaning to literally isolate into a specific group or tribe or nation or family. It's a, a setting apart from the danger of the world by putting us in a safe place, a safe people to whom we then belong. It's not a coincidence that we, what we call our places of worship a sanctuary, a, a safe place, a, a place where... You're not going to be snatched away or harmed where people know you and you're watched over by pastors and you're watched over by others who are taking this journey with you as you watch over uh, them and care for them. But then Jesus says in verse 13, as speaking again to the father, he says, I'm coming to you. But I say these things while I am still in the cosmos so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. So we're not supposed to live in fear or live in some sense that, oh, we're surrounded, but rather we are to, in fact, live in the joy of knowing that we belong to God. We've been set apart by God. We are, in fact, His people and He is our God. And so that they may live in the full measure of the joy within them I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the cosmos any more than I am of the world. I find it so interesting the animosity that comes from any culture. Now he's not talking about Santa Barbara or California or the United States or developing worlds or developed worlds, cultures. He's talking to disciples 2,000 years ago living in that culture. So this isn't something unique to where we live. This is the nature of the spiritual decisions that each of us have to make. But it's interesting to me how often the animosity comes and how it comes. Now, we have to take some responsibility for that. We deserve some of the animosity because... People in Christ's name who claim to be Christians act in very un like ways. And it is alarming, but that is a, another study for another day. The word that Jesus uses here for hate is a primary word. You cannot go any uh, declination back to any other uh, word. It's so primal that it is, in fact, a primal experience that every human being has. It's a visceral, physical, gut-wrenching dislike and hatred for something or someone. In this instance, Jesus says, the cosmos hates us because we are with God and we are his tribe. We're his family. And they do not want to be with God and they do not certainly want to be a part of our tribe. In fact, the very word Christian in the English language in which we live is continually attacked. I see it all the time in in my movie uh, work as I critique the films and look at what they do and how they depict Christians. Christians are most often, and Catholics take it the worst, attacked within most of the Cosmos films in the popular culture. Uh, But that is a clear symptom of something that is deeper than just the the attack against the word Christian is something that uh, people are attacking because of the spiritual attack. Again it's not a coincidence that there is a disdain for true Christ ones in a culture that does not want to be a Christ culture and that wants to distance itself from God and from being set apart for God. But the interesting thing for me, both as a person and as a a shepherd of God's people, as I watch and work with people closely, that I've noticed that within myself, and I've noticed it that in most Christians, even though we know the cosmos does not want God, we for some reason want the approval of the cosmos. We want to somehow be thought well by this culture that does not want God and does not want God's ways we want their approval and so we often downplay the fact that we belong with him I've known Christians who have worked beside others for years and they've never told them the most important thing in their lives that they're a follower of Jesus Christ that they're a child of God that they've been transformed by his power That they have life in them that is eternal. And it's a life that changes everything. They're even silent, i found, when the world starts attacking a Christian. And they just kind of back off and let the world attack them. Not even beginning to stand up, let alone saying, Yes, I'm a Christian. I'm with them. I belong beside them if you're going to attack. Because I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus Christ. We deny like Peter did. I'm, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't want to belong. When I was thinking of how that kind of looks, uh, it reminded me of the experience of playgrounds when we are children. And when a bully in the playground enters, and they pick on one of the, the children that are there, They are far outnumbered. There's one bully. There's maybe 30 kids playing. But what do the kids do? They back off. They let the bully do his thing rather than coming up and saying, we are with this person and you will not harm them for we're going to guard them. We're going to protect them. We're going to watch over them. We're going to be there for them in this time of need for we are Christ ones. Now, I don't know why it is that we want the approval of the world or or why it is that we often are shy about protecting his people when they're being attacked in whatever ways and in whatever situations they're being attacked. But I do know that Jesus knew we needed to pray about it because it's going to happen. Perhaps we're afraid, and what we're afraid of, I'm not real sure Perhaps we want to be cool, or relevant, or sophisticated, or to belong to whatever that group is uh, that is attacking Christ. But whatever the reason, it is prayer, Jesus says, that is needed. And why do we need prayer? Well, he continues, and he says this in verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, an impossibility, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the cosmos, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the cosmos. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified, set apart, separated from that which is not God. This brings us, of course, to the climax. That's his climax of this whole portion of the prayer as he's praying for us, the disciples of God. That the deepest need of each of us is that we will be sanctified by the truth. The Greek word that we translate, sanctify, is hagatso. And hagiatso, is a word that has been translated into Latin in a different way, sanctificare. Hagiato means to separate out from the profane things and to set it apart for God. The Latin sanctificare is a passive word, and that passive word is important in understanding that it's something that God does in us and we receive it out of his love. It's done by His power, not by our effort. And so sanctificare means to be purified, to be consecrated, to be made acceptable to God and for God by God's power. It's something that we receive to be by His power purified. So it's not something we as human beings do, but something God does. And as such then, We are set apart for him, for his purpose and for his work to be his people living his life in this world that does not follow him. Our worldly world, our cosmos, has turned that on its head as I showed you at the very beginning. As we've seen, our culture has decided they can sanctify the profane. They put themselves in the place of God and they declare what is sacred, what is true, what is valuable. And they have decided, as this prophetic messianic rabbi stated, they've decided to sanctify the profane. Thereby profane the sanctification of God. Now, as I said, why Jesus prays for us is because this is a real problem. I've noted that oftentimes when we, as Christians, talk about sanctification, we focus on the smaller things of our lives. Perhaps the impurities we're doing or the things that we shouldn't have done in our own lives or even in the lives of others. We point out those things to one another when it becomes a a legalistic Christianity, a destructive Christianity. But in so doing, we become hard on ourselves about the little things. And when we focus our things, our lives on little things, then, as Jesus said, we strain at a gnat while we swallow a camel. We miss the very purpose of the choice that God is presenting to us. The actual choice that this is isn't so much focused on these little things that can so uh, be symptomatic of the choices, the larger choice that we've made, but rather... It causes us to, in fact, not be wholly filled with joy that we belong to and are part of the family of God. We focus instead on these little things making our Christian life little and misunderstanding the ultimate choice. The primary choice is this. Will we be set apart for God or not? Will we be sanctified by God? Or not? Will we let God be God? Or will we decide to make ourselves God? Now that choice is the choice. Everything else is symptomatic of the choice. Either we live with God, set apart for Him, living in His people and in His way, or we do not. And we live in a life that's separated from Him and separated from the ways of God. Jesus prayed that we would not be seduced by this worldly environment in which we find ourselves the question though is are we allowing this prayer which is a 2000 year old prayer to be effective in our lives individually and then as a tribe as a culture as a family of god so let's take a moment to answer the question that is really two-sided it's the choice that every human being makes and in many ways we make it every day the first side is this have we identified with God and his people and are we seeking his sanctification in our lives in other words do we identify truly with God and his people if somebody says to us who are you do we answer I am a Christian. If not, how does that sentence end? I am. And second, the other side of the coin, are we overly concerned with what the world thinks? Both what the world says is important to us, that we should spend the hours of our days trying to achieve, or what is scary to us, that we should in fact lose sleep over because it matters so ultimately Or what is valuable or what is meaningful? And a second part of that, are we overly concerned with what the world thinks of us? Do we get our identity from where we stand in this pecking order of a culture that doesn't even want God and doesn't want the ways of God? With what do we identify? Let's spend time with Him.